find that in the English Bible, unfortunately, in most English Bibles. Okay, uh, the the two words where that is used in the Greek, uh, they are Acts twenty one twenty one and Second Thessalonians two three. You can look those up anytime. The concept appears many other times throughout the New Testament. So even if the word itself is not always used. The concept is used heavily throughout the New Testament. Okay, that's the point I'm trying to make. The concept appears many other times throughout the New Testament. For example, the entire book of Jude addresses the apostate angels along with false teachers who have abandoned the faith and led many others astray. He sternly warns believers to be on their guard for these false disciples who claim affiliation with Christ but in fact depart from the truth of God for distractions that turn heads and hearts away from the Word of God. Okay, when you read the book, it's a little tiny book, right? It's easy to read. Book of Jude, man, it's very forceful. He had, he boy, he spares no superlatives. Of it. it almost sounds like a thundering Old Testament prophet railing against these guys, right? And warning us that 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 these particular apostates are still in the church. They've abandoned faith, but they're still here, right? You really got to watch out for that. Jude is probably one of the best examples of this in the New Testament. Paul <clears throat> says effectively the same thing in 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3. Now the Spirit says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Okay, catch on. This has been was interesting to me in, in, this, in this study is is the connection at several points Jude and and this text particularly between apostate angels and apostates in the church very interesting that connection is made several times and Paul does it here okay that these deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. I think what Paul is saying there in that really short text effectively is that these deceiving spirits, these apostate angels, <clears throat> that is these angels who have walked away from their holy calling before God, right, to do their own thing uh, in rebellion against him, uh, are, are looking to to do to follow in the footsteps of their own master Satan himself right remember in the garden the thing that uh, that Satan wanted to really uh, drive home with Adam and Eve was that God was somehow this miserly selfish um, um, dictatorial self-centered God who really didn't care about them. You know, did God really say that you can't eat from all the trees? What does that do? That, that impugns the character of God, right? That, that calls into question the goodness of God. And Satan is still doing that, and his deceiving spirits still do that. So look out for that, right? <clears throat> and how do they do it here in this text in 1 Timothy? <clears throat> look how they do that. They forbid marriage. They forbid absence from foods. If God created to be received, what? With guilt? No, with thanksgiving. Right? Oh, man, this bacon is wonderful. You know? 
this this you, you know, bacon is really good too, by the way, right? So when when you when you when you eat all of these varieties of foods that in, in the law maybe used to be clean, uh, you know, unclean and so on, um, you know, there were there was there was reason why God gave the laws when He gave it, but later <clears throat> that all is is set aside that that that. Um, ceremonial law is set aside right we don't god didn't set aside its moral law but the, the ceremonial laws and all that but the purpose of it was not to you know to keep you from having the enjoyment of bacon or whatever right um but actually uh to separate his people from the practices of the pagan nations around them. When you, when you read all of those laws, he stresses that again and again. You're my distinct and separate people. You're a holy people. You're separate from around them. And then, of course, there's a lot of practical reasons as well. Um, you know, a lot of those so-called unclean animals, you know, that their meat is, if you know anything about how they live and what they eat and so on, you have to very carefully prepare the pork, particularly, right? You, you can't undercook that or you can get sick pretty easily. Anyway, so... Uh, but the, Yes. Um, also, Paul talks about the law. One of the purposes of the law is to uh, make us more aware of our sin. No doubt. Yeah. No, but particularly the moral law. Yeah, yeah. Right. right. Yeah, that's true. The moral law, not the ceremonial. Right. Yeah. Right. But, but the point I'm trying to make is that, is that these, these teachers, in this context here, through these legalistic standards, do exactly what Satan tried to do with Adam and Eve, uh, and, and he was successful in that moment anyway. Um, and that is basically to okay, well, you know, God hasn't drawn the line in the right place, so we need to add to it. Okay, you know, uh, and so the the implication here is that well, God is kind of miserly. Uh, you know, and, and stiff and unapproachable, and you've really got to clean up your act. So, you know, these things like marriage, <clears throat> which implies what? The joy of sexual union between a man and a woman there, and, and the pleasure of, of that intimacy, not, not just the act itself, but just the romance and the time together and the things that you enjoy, the intimacy together. Um, um, well, that's somehow bad, right? Because, you know, God wouldn't do that. So you guys know those things. You want to be honest. What does that say about God's character? You see, it so so legalism, and, and trust me, I've been in these I've been in these kinds of environments, and, and I know what that's like. And it was very liberating to me when it finally dawned on me that these things that I thought God was saying all these years were really just lies, because <clears throat> the Scripture doesn't really say that. And when you, that's why it's so important for us to know this book, right? Because if you don't. You can be easily sucked into and derailed, you know, like, like a train that's going along and then, and then there's an alternate path and, and, and it's just an ever so subtle shift of the track. And the next thing you know, you're off further and further and further away from the real, from knowing the real character of the real God and, 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 and have this whole created God, you know, with all of his demands, like a little tyrant sitting on his throne. Does that make sense? And that's, that's what I see there in First Timothy. That's why I think, again, that text from Paul really uh, helps us to unpack the danger of apostasy. These kinds of apostates that are still in the church, 
and, and still masquerading as if they speak for God, but in fact they don't. Um, any thoughts about that? There are a lot of apostates today who are highly visible. Yes. yes. I mean, some are, you know, just ordinary folks. But some are highly visible, and they are very much apostates. Yes, they are. But you won't know that if you don't know this. Book. Yeah, right. You have to have spiritual discernment. Yes, you do. And you get that here. You don't get that from a feeling. Right. right? Yeah. <laughs> Got to be based on facts. And even even creeds. But be careful. I mean, there are some creeds that are really good. There's some that are not so good. Um, you know, um, knowing knowing singing wonderful hymns, even the great hymns of the faith, as good as all of those things are in expressing and packaging and, and helping us to to assimilate and digest uh, doctrinal truth, is still not a replacement for knowing this. You mentioned discernment, and that's one of the things that's really missing. Absolutely. Other passages include Matthew 24, 10 through 12, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, and 2 Peter 3, 17, which also point out and point to an increase in apostasy in the last days. Notice how Paul starts that section in 1 Timothy 4. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from our faith, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I, what's interesting to me is that the Spirit of God told him that expressly. In other words, in, in actual words, the Spirit told him directly, in actual words. That's what that means, okay? Uh, which is, is interesting because it was super, super important that Paul not get that wrong, right? That the Spirit wanted to be sure Paul knew and passed along to all of us that especially in the latter days, the church would, um, would experience a mass apostasy. And Eric, you're exactly right. I think we see that today. We're 2,000 years later, and the church has seen a lot of major turning points in its history of, of splits, you know, because of apostasy and, and so forth. And, and you know, we did a, a series years ago. It was Dr. Godfrey, by the way, Vicki, that I was trying to think of the other day. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we, did, we went through his series of church, of church history, right? Remember that? And, uh, and, and so we learned about a lot of that. But boy, today, my goodness. Uh, and I just commend to you, it's just interesting God's timing all this, because if you have the GTY app, or you can go to the website, okay, uh, John MacArthur, uh, about three, maybe today, not counting today, okay, so three Sundays ago, he started a two-part series on, on defection from the church. I forget now exactly what he called it, but... But he's dealing with this very subject. But he's dealing it in a very contemporary context, to where you know uh, people have these have this term exvangelical. Have you heard that? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and and and, uh, and and there's others. He he gives a bunch of those. So I commend those two messages to you. They are really really good. Okay, um, in, in in helping us unpack this and think about it in a, in a modern contemporary context. But in in social media today, uh, you know, whereas what kind of one of the main points he's making in those sermons is, you know, generations ago, even when, when most of us in this room were, in fact, I think all of us in this room were growing up in church, uh, you know, there was, a, there was kind of a cultural taboo if you left the church. I mean, you could go from one church 
or even one denomination to another, but you didn't just leave church and say, I was a victim of their, you know, manipulation and, 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 and control and all this kind of thing, okay? But today, you can get on social media and, and find thousands of friends who will stand with you and, oh, yes, that's great, you know, yeah, 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 and, and, and you can label yourself an ex-evangelical or one of these other labels and talk about how, <clears throat> how liberating it is to be free from the strictures and the deception of the, the Christian church, the Christian faith. And you'll find all these well, friends and people encouraging each other in their brazen affection. Yes. Feeding each other. And, yeah. You know, that's, that's just what we do sometimes. That's right. Yeah. And the devil is behind the whole thing. Sure is. And pride. And so is God, by the way. Because that is a mark of of his his wrath. Yeah. Uh, that Paul talks about, right? It says that, 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 that they commit these sins and they give hearty approval to those who do them. Right? They, they stand around and encourage each other, you know, with, with great encouragement and stand together on this. And, That's a hard thing for us to see because we think these things are going to bring the judgment of God when, in fact, they are the judgment. They are the judgment of God. That's right. That's right. You know, you see today about a lot of people church jumping because what can this church do for me? What kind of activities do you have? And there's nothing wrong with having a good, good Sunday school class and, you know, senior adult class, stuff like that. But it's always about what the church can do for me. I don't. I think that a lot of a lot of churches today have lost that threat. You're dying and going to hell. I mean, that's the base put down to the line. If you do not have Him as your personal Savior, you're dying and going to hell. You used to have a T-shirt one time, I think, or, or the slogan, "Smoking or not, it's your choice." You know, you're either going to go to heaven, or you're going to go to hell. And I think a lot of our churches have got away from that. It's a feel-good message. Yes. Yeah. I think of um, Osteen. You know, your best life now. Yeah. Huh? Your best life now. Yeah, and it's yeah. like he, he makes everybody. And his place is full yep. because yeah. they want that feel-good message. I tell you, this is not a feel-good message unless you have him in your heart. And it is always a toe-stepper. You're going to get your toe-stepped on because the thing <laughs> is the Holy Spirit is doing his job. If you're really his, you're going to get your toe stepped on. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mine, are, mine are like black and blue. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when the, when, the, when the conviction of God comes through his word, there's a sweetness to it That's right. as well. Right. There, there is yeah. a pain, but there's a sweetness. To but it. knowing that. You, you, and you know it. That's right. right. Yeah, that's right. Great. Amen. All right. Um, next paragraph there. The warning to believers be on our guard against false teachers <clears throat> is found throughout the New Testament. Jesus himself warned many times for us to be on the lookout for false teachers who are themselves departing from true doctrine and are leading others to depart. One of the clearest and most vivid examples of this is Jesus' teaching in Matthew 7, uh, 15 through 27 at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, where he warns us to beware of false prophets, that is, proclaimers of messages supposed to be from God, but are in fact deceiving mes messages that convey a false sense of security with God. He first paints these leaders as wolves in sheep's clothing, which I always, I always, you know, before I, I knew better, I always pictured like this wolf with like 
a sheepskin over it, you know, kind of thing. But actually, it, it is a little bit of a play on words, okay, because sheep and wolves are known to be natural enemies. But that's why I put that parenthetical note there. What he really means is the vestments of a prophet of God, right? So, in other words, a wool garment. Uh, so, the, so they come, they come dressed in the in the robe like of prophet. prophets. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's the idea that, that Jesus is using to convey there. Uh, but they, but who are really false shepherds who prey on the sheep and whose doctrinal error is seen in its results, first in their lives then in the lives of their followers. That's verses 15 through 20. Uh, that's the tree, right, with its fruit. You know by its fruit. Jesus warns us that the end result of following these false teachers is many false disciples who think they are saved but are not. Mm -hmm. They are condemned by Jesus when it is too late and told to depart from him because they never knew him as Lord and Savior, verses 21 through 23. He concludes by giving us the narrow way to eternal life that few follow. That goes back to verse 14, right? Remember he says in, in verses 13 14 there, um, you know, enter through the narrow gate, right? For, for God is the way and it leads to destruction. And so that, that what he's trying to get at is that there's so few who find it, right? There's so few who are on that, that actual true way to eternal life. But there are many who are on this broad way that, and, and, and I think John was preaching on the message of time, and he, and he made a good point. He says, you got these two gates, there's a narrow gate and a broad gate, and it's not like the narrow gate says the way to heaven and the broad gate says the way to hell. They both say the way to heaven, right? The, this is the path to eternal life. But only one will get you there. Mm -hmm. One is narrow and compressed, and, and you, you, you can't bring your baggage and your friends. You go one, it, John likened it, John MacArthur likened it to a turnstile. Well, that was a good illustration. You know, when you go to, uh, uh, you know, like your airport security, or maybe go into a subway or something like that, you know, and there's only one person at a time. You've seen those big gates that have those, like, fingers kind of thing, and, and they'll let only one person, you, you try to go through with your luggage or your husband or, you know, good luck, right? One at a time. Yeah. Cattle shoot. Yeah, right. That's yes. another good illustration, right? That's the idea. It's a compressed, narrow way. You can't come in with your baggage and your friends. But the wide way, you come in with the group, right? And you're all affirming each other. And, and, and yeah, man, yeah, yeah, we're good. We're good with God. Everything's fine. And you just, and you have teachers who condone that and, and preach that and, and uh, watch out for those. What terrible words those are. Um, all right, so let me finish that last sentence. He concludes by giving us the narrow way to eternal life that few will follow, namely building their faith on his words through obedience, okay? So when you take that whole text together, it took me a, a while to see the connection between, you know, enter through the narrow way, and then he talks about false teachers. And then right after that, he says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, cast out demons, perform miracles, do all these wonderful things? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Depart from me. What's the connection there? Well, it's because they're listening to the false teachers, right? The false prophets are there, you know, uh, uh, like Satan's spokesman, kind of ushering and, and, and encouraging people to, to follow these other teachings 
and they can come in a variety of forms. It can be legalism. It can also be antinomianism, which is the opposite of that, right? That, well, hey, I'm saved by grace, and I can do whatever I want. I can sin how I like, and I live how I like because, you know, God understands, and, you know, I'm accepted in Christ, and, you know, uh, it can come in, in a prosperity kind of gospel, which uh, Joel Osteen represents sort of that sort of mainstream, you know, prosperity gospel light kind of thing, all the way to the extreme examples of, of uh, Kenneth Hagin, uh, you know, uh, some of the, like that, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, he's really, anyway. Um, yes? Also, you know, because mysticism comes from the East, you know, and is penetrating this, the, you know, the United States mm -hmm. is penetrating mm -hmm. us. Um, we can see more and more of it. And, and where people are not, it's not like just one God, you know, it's who is your God, mm. or what have you made your God, or or what are you deciding to follow now, and whatever you are deciding to follow, or who you're deciding to follow, or what spirit you've decided to follow, or whatever, because it's in so many forms that, you know, then you, you know, like getting into uh, states of, of um, whatever you call it, um, hypnotism type thing and all that kind of stuff so that you can you know you can transform yourself you know little bits at a time to be more and more like your god because because we want it's not like they say there's there is no god you know as far as it's just like well i have my god and you have your god and then i'm becoming more and more like my god and i'm just like we're, we're turning into one and I'm becoming a god and all that kind of stuff. It's just like crazy stuff that, you know, when you're dwelt by the Holy Spirit, you look at it and go, what a mess. But people really believe that yeah. and that they're becoming more and more like God. That's how I, you know, that's how I finally get to the point where I get to be with him because I become more and more and more and more like him, like that, you know, and that's it's just, that's a crazy thought. It used to be called the New Age Movement. I don't know if they're still called that today or not, but that's what it used to be called. It is New Age. You don't, you don't hear that term as much. But mysticism yeah. stuff. And yeah. yeah, it's just it's crazy stuff. But So it's a, another way of doing that as far as not following the same God as these people over here. Mm -hmm. that, you know, we've been learning about heaven and hell and all that stuff. It's just like... I don't want to follow that one. I want to follow this one that we all end up there. We all end up in a good place. And we all end up there because we're all going to turn into the same thing, like the little dogs. It's just it's a crazy thought. Kind of taking what we what we know, becoming like the image of God's son, Jesus, uh, kind of like the same thing, but like twisting the whole thing around. It's a... And of course, it all started in the Garden of Eden when, when uh, the serpent tried to convince, See. yeah, deceive yeah. it to think you will become like God. Yeah. Boy, that's that's a strong pull right there. Mormons do that. That's right. You know, that's you know, you want to become like. I mean, you want to become your own God on your own planet. Well, join us. You know, Pete, in the, in the last paragraph. That last word is, is paramount, obedience. Yeah. 
You have to have obedience, okay? But you have to have obedience to the true God. And when you have that, when you submit to Him, which we all fail doing that because we still have that sin nature, but if you continue to try to be obedient to Him, you grow more like Him. So that word obedience is a strong word. That's right. Now they can have obedience to their own little thing as well. But I'm saying this, obedience in Scripture is very pronounced. It's, it's it spoke is. a lot of it. Well, that's what Jesus is saying there, right? Because, yep. you know, so after after he talks about the narrow way in verses 13 and 14, then he has that section on warning about the false teachers. He says, give it time, eventually the fruit of their own lives. And, and here's the other thing is, is, okay, here's a great way to tell false doctrine. What's its effect in the lives of people who believe it? Watch its effect. Watch its effect in your own life. There's there are things in my own life that you start believing, and then when you start to live it out, and you start thinking about the consequences of it, and, and then especially if you're spending time in the Word of God, it'll start correcting that. And oh man, wow! I used to think this way, and it led to anxiety and other things that you know. Instead of, I'll give you one great example is the overemphasis of um, the sovereignty of man salvation as opposed to the sovereignty of God. Right? When you you know when you first hear about the sovereignty of God in all things especially salvation, okay, um, and, and that man has no ability because he's completely spiritually dead to respond to God in any way, it's offensive. And it's like, oh that can't be true, right? And I even know of examples in you know in this church where you know we, we struggle with I don't think here in this church but but with close family members that are believers that still wrestle with this they haven't quite gotten there because it's offensive it's hard to to believe that but but then you know as you start to really see that more and more in scripture and the Lord draws you into that for me personally one of the side effects has been okay now I understand what peace is about. Because the peace of God doesn't rest in some kind of magic formula that, you know, if I just come to church and I do the right things, he'll just magically give me this, here's your peace, you know, pill for the day. You know, and I just feel better because I feel better. No, it's because my peace is grounded in the doctrine that God is in charge of everything that happens. And like my wife said in her prayer, you know, uh, you know that, that God's in charge. And we can rest in that, right? Uh, when we get to joy, we're going to study joy here. He's just going to talk about peace in here, but he's going to talk about joy as well. When we get to joy, it's the same thing. Our joy is rooted in the sovereignty of God, and, and it has to be, because if it's if it's not, then it's happiness. And happiness is rooted in circumstances, okay, which ebb and flow, change. So that's just one example of, of the fruit of the doctrine. What is it, what is its results? Okay, and, and if it's not living up to what's promised in the Word of God, Maybe the maybe the, if the fruit is bad, the root is bad, right? Okay. So yes. So obedience, though, is Jesus holds that up at the end. He says the wise man and the and the foolish man, right? The wise man is the one who, you know, they're both here. Notice that, right? Jesus will say, the wise man and the foolish man both hear my words. The difference between them is that the wise man does it, right? He takes Jesus's words seriously. And he's not saved by obedience, but the obedience shows his salvation. He builds on the foundation of the rock. What's the rock? <clears throat> the word of God, right? The foundation of Christ, his words. 
and he, as opposed to the one who hears but doesn't do and builds his house, builds his life on sand. And the storm, that is the storm of the judgment of God, comes and will in the end destroy all those works that he just talked about. The people right before, they say, Lord, didn't we do all these wonderful things? And he, he, it's like the storm of God's judgment comes and blows that away. He says, I never knew you. You never took my word seriously. You never obeyed it. Okay, in John's Gospel, we have already encountered many false disciples of Jesus in chapter 6. In that chapter, Jesus feeds the 5,000 men with a small lunch. The next day, many of these who have been following him because of the crowds, the miracles, his sometimes gracious words. I say sometimes because his words were very offensive sometimes too. But that in Luke, uh, there's an interesting comment there in Luke 4, 22, that early in Jesus' ministry, when he was preaching in his own synagogue, they were complimenting him for the gracious words that he was speaking, right? They really liked what he was saying at that point. So, so people had different reasons for following him, is the point I'm trying to get there or some other reason, and were convinced that he was a triumphalistic Messiah they were eagerly expecting, uh, they came to him looking for more miraculous food. This is the next day, right? In chapter 6. Jesus, however, is not having it. Instead, he presents them with the truth that he is the bread from heaven whom God has given <coughs> to spiritually feed the whole world. They were deeply offended by his words and apostatized in verse 66. Directly after this happened, Jesus turned to the twelve and asked if they too were going to leave. Peter hit the nail on the head when he said, Lord, to whom will we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. Okay? Many Bibles don't put that word alone in there, but it's, it's a good translation. Okay? Um, Peter understood, along with the other saved disciples, that the power of God was in the words of Jesus. Let me say that again. So important. The power of God is in the Word of God. Period. Okay? It's not in the music. As good as the music might be. It's not in the mood setting of let's turn the lights down and let's light up the stage and let's have a great band, which is what we see in a lot of churches today. Okay? The power of God is not in just being in a building with a cross on the outside. Or church in the name. Okay? The power of God is in the Word of God. Peter understood that. To whom will we go? Do you have the what? You have the free food? Right. John said that. That's what they were looking for. That's what, that's what the others were looking for. They were looking for the benefits, right? So the danger of apostasy is um, is exactly that. And boy, do we see it today. <laughs> we really see it today. Okay? So nonetheless, Jesus notes that one of the twelve was not a true disciple. Jesus tells us that was Judas Iscariot, the apostle of apostasy. Okay, that's what I'm calling him, the apostle of apostasy. Now, next time, we will look at uh, Judas in more detail and what does it mean to be an apostle, okay? Um, any thoughts about that? And I always think to myself that maybe they know not not that they aren't 
safe, but that something's not right. I think that, I mean, I've talked to a lot of uh, different denominations, and they believe that they're going to heaven, or they believe, you know, that they're, they're saved, their message is different, or whatever, but the, the common thing that I've found is that even though they believe that they're saved, they feel like that something's not quite right. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, I think if, I think that's the common denominator between between all of that, you know, mm-hmm. the different anybody that thinks that they're saved and whether they aren't. That's a great point. You know, I think some of the diagnostic questions you can ask to tease that out is, do you have the peace? Do you personally yeah. experience the peace that Jesus talks about? Do you have the joy that he talks about? Do you know what it is to love God? Um, well, if I'm honest, no. And I think that's where a lot of this modern apostasy is coming from, is that churches for so long, in order to track numbers, have offered all of these wonderful things. So let me give you one really, I'll get to you in a second. Let me give you one really big one that I, I just saw yesterday in a video, okay? It was a video about a near-death experience a person had. It was a probably one of the best testimonies of this I've heard. You, you, you know about all these, right? These are people yeah. who, who who die for some you know, minutes or maybe an hour or several hours, and they go to heaven. In some cases, they claim to go to hell, and they see this, that, and the other, and they come back and they tell us about it. And so this guy was telling us that, and, and it was so emotional, but there's very, very, very little of the Word of God in there at all. And, and one, of the, one of the things that he said that really stood out to me he emphasized this a lot after he was done telling his testimony with the interviewer. He was talking about the power of the presence of God and how transformative the presence of God is. And it got me thinking of how much I hear that in a lot of churches today, okay? where the presence of God is, he, he, but it doesn't qualify what that is. How do I know it when I see it? Is that a feeling? When I go into church, and if, if the mood is right, the band is really good, and I've had enough coffee in the morning, woo! I'm feeling good. I got my spiritual my spiritual orgasm. Okay. I'm, I'm sorry to be crude, but that's what it, that's kind of what it comes down to. Or maybe I didn't I didn't quite get the feeling today, right? And so churches are promising all of these things, you know. And 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 in our Bible study. On uh, Friday, uh, one of the guys used the, the term hack. I thought that was really good. He said, I have my little hacks, and you know, other people have the, these little hacks, these little routines, or these little traditions, or this, this thing that you do. Maybe it's the music, or maybe it's not music. Maybe it's the right liturgical prayers, or whatever it is, you know, that you get your, your, your spiritual fix, right? And, and, but when they step out of that, and they go through the week, and, and, you know, somewhere in the vague fog, we've heard something about this joy and a peace that passes understanding that's supposed to help me through the week, and I don't have that. I guess to your point, right, is is something is missing. And, and I think a lot of people more and more are saying the church is failing to deliver. Christianity didn't deliver on its promises. I'm out of here. Well, I was going to say just from my what you do in your life. So in those things, they think they're safe. 
their life, like, you know, they do whatever they want. And it's like, you know, and it's really interesting too, because there were um, a couple of people that I know. Well, one I saw um, during one of the, one of like, they, they had new, it was one of the folks that's going around the world and visiting different countries, you know. They had this interview or this, this clip on the news about the Pope and this woman coming up to him to get some advice because she was <coughs> destitute. She lost her family and all this stuff and she really needed some comfort, right? And um, he was, it, it was really interesting to me because rather than like comforting her with Bible verses or telling her to do certain things like, you know, God's promise and all this, he was just like, Oh, you know, just keep praying. And that, that was his thing. And then recently we had this um, person at work who is, you know, he's like really depressed. And we're worried about him. And, you know, I was talking to him like, what did, you know, what religion are you? And he's a Roman Catholic. I said, well, did you talk to anybody? Anything like this? Well, I went to the priest and he said that he doesn't, like no Bible verses, no reference to God or Jesus, just Oh, I'm sorry. I don't really know. I don't really understand what you're going through. Kind of dismissive kind of thing. I just, you know, I just, that just struck me, like, just because they're supposed to be, like, the, you know, um, you know, it's just, like, idol worship. It just, like, just struck me as, like, you know, you're, you're supposed to be, like, leaders of, you know, a church, a big following, and you can't even quote the Bible to these people. You can't even give, like, God's and Jesus' words to help comfort them. You know, you just have to be dismissive and so it's just like all show. It's like, you know, the presentation of, you know, I don't know. It was just really, I don't know. It was just really interesting to me because I was just like, really? <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I, I don't know. It was just, it was like, I was like, okay. Yeah, it's <laughs> good. Great. It's a good reminder to us. You know, I, heard, I heard a biblical counselor say years ago that, that whenever he sits down with you know a couple or an individual that's coming to counseling, he sets the word of God on the desk. He's listening to them the first time. And in the first session they'll unpack their story, right? And it's it's just these impossible situations. Kind of like your your coworker, right? And, and I, I've thought about suicide so much and, and here's all the things that are going wrong in my life. And he the reason he sets the word of God there is he says many times I'm sitting there listening to this and thinking I have nothing profound to say. I mean, what do you say to somebody? And, you know, what kind of little hallmark card can I verbally give you that makes you feel better in the moment? You know? And he says, I've worked out there to remind me that it's not my wisdom, but his. It's God's wisdom. We are just we're just those plastic containers that hold the process very I like that. But yeah. it's, but when you don't have that, what do you say? Right? But I mean, you know, I don't know. It's just, you know, they're here, let's, let's listen to praise God, music, you know? You know? Uh, that doesn't help me right <laughs> and now. And it was just like, they can't even, like, give them God's word. It was just, like, so amazing to me. Like, it was just, like, blew this, my mind. Like, this book is not magic. It's truth. Right. And you exactly. walk in it and obey it and, and look to Jesus. Don't look to me. Don't look to the pastor. Don't, you know, exactly. Go to him. You know? I know. You know. But they didn't even say that, you know? They're not even, like, go to the Bible. Look at this verse. Or, uh, Thank you, Natalie. Crazy. Natalie, would you mind closing this for her? Me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
Dear Father, thank you for having us together today. And please take care of your Christian family, the rest of you that are in this world, and help them to be strong, just in the Holy Spirit and in Jesus. Help them to continue your, to know our brothers and sisters.